Christmas Eve with all of you, whether you're here online or here in person. Now, throughout the month of December, we have journeyed into the land of Whoville, and uh, we have been inspired, uh, firstly, by this, this song that they were singing, the song of excitement, of welcoming Christmas into their experience. And specifically for us, it's not that we're just welcoming in a holiday. It's that we're welcoming in, choosing to align our hearts to a path where we would desire God's plan of redemption to be made more known, manifest in our lives every single day. In the second week, though, we went up to the top of Mount Crumpet with the Grinch. And where the Grinch is sitting over the entire land of Whoville. And he is just coming up and scheming. And he has this, what he calls a wonderful awful idea. His plan to thwart God's plan of redemption, or not God's plan of redemption, the Who's plan of Christmas. And just like they have the Who's plan of, of, of Christmas, we have God's plan of redemption, and we have the Satan who sits like the Grinch over the land and desires to kill, steal, and destroy, desires to thwart God's plan of redemption. The only problem is just like the Grinch, his wonderful, awful idea ends up just being a really awful idea that, that is doomed to fail. So is the same with our spiritual enemy. And then last week on Sunday, we talked about the beautiful reality that what happens is the Grinch is watching over and he thinks he has stolen Christmas because he took all the trinkets, he took the tree, he took the trimming, he took the who hash, he took all the stuff that he thought made up what Christmas was. And then all of a sudden he hears this song that's being sung down below. And at that point, he's confused. And then that confusion takes him to another place where he is captivated. And all of a sudden it says that his heart grows, grew three sizes bigger in that day. Something changed in him. And see, the reality is, is when we hear the song, when we hear the song of the gospel, this beautiful melody that captivates our hearts, it doesn't just make our heart grow a little bit. It brings us from death to life. It gives us forgiveness and freedom. It gives us not just those beautiful realities, but it also gives us a new place, adoption into the forever family of God that we now belong 
in a world of unbelonging, that we have a redeemed purpose that we live toward. So this has been our journey so far in the land of Whoville. But tonight we are going to finish our journey in Whoville with the final scene of the animated classic. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. He rode into Whoville, he brought back their toys, he brought back their floof to the Who girls and boys. He brought back their snoop and their tringlers and fuzzles, brought back their pantukas, their dafflers and wuzzles. He brought everything back, all the food for the feast. And he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. Welcome, Christmas. Bring your cheer. Cheer to all who's far and near. Christmas Day is in our grasp, so long as we have hands to clasp. Christmas Day will always be just as long as we have we. Welcome, Christmas, while we stand, heart to heart and hand in hand. When was the last time you had a true feast? Think about, maybe it was on a cruise. Um, maybe, most likely it was probably in a pre-COVID era. Um, I specifically think about uh, an, an incredible feast that I had about a year ago. Uh, it was at our friend, uh, our friends, the Taylor's home. They have a farm, and at their farm they run a nonprofit, and they do this fundraiser for this nonprofit called the Dinner Bell every year. And it's a five-course meal, um, all paired food, and it's and it's in the ambiance is incredible. Um, it's it's out in the middle of of um, of their farm, and the lights are perfect, and everything is just spectacular. In the food is so delicious and flavorful and unique. And the conversation was incredible. We had some friends that were there at dinner with us, and we got to talk about what God was doing in our lives, about this ministry, um, about where we were at with our family, and all these incredible things. So that's what I think about when I think about feasting. See, when we feast, when we feast, what feasting is meant to be, it's not just about a meal, right? You, you know that. When you are truly feasting, like the Grinch was feasting with the people of Whoville, it's this immersion into the fullness of life and flavors and relationships. It, it crosses over into so many different areas. It's this full, immersive experience. Now, what would you say, what would you think if I told you that this is the type of relationship that we are meant to have with God. A relationship that looks less like scarcity and more like feasting. Now, this year has brought a lot of craziness. And one of the biggest realizations in my life um, over this past year has been this reality where I have just started to realize that if I were to describe to you what does my relationship with God what is my experience with God like? I would honestly have to say it usually feels okay. Some intimacy, but busyness, it's okay. It's not bad. It's usually not bad. But then I had to get to the point where I would say, I'm not okay with just being okay. I'm not okay with just being in this place that stretches on for years. And what this has done for me and taken me into is this place where I started to search in the scriptures for what does it look like to experience God, to experience what he wants for humanity. See, feasting is about enjoying the fullness of life and flavors and the intimacy of relationship. 
So when you think about your relationship with Jesus, how would you describe it? Is your relationship with Jesus filled with the fullness of life, wondrous and flavorful? Is it deep in intimacy? Now, that question might strike you as either kind of a little bit self-serving or it might, you may think, well, that's just kind of life. That's just kind of the way it is. But whether or not you follow after Jesus, there's one thing that is clearly resounded throughout the scriptures. And um, it's been uh, shortened down to this effect. Um, this is um, from the 1800s from the Westminster Catechism. And I love the way that they answer the question, what is the chief end of man? In essence, why does humanity exist? Why were we created? And what it says there is we were created to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is simply why you and I exist. Now think of the expression on the Grinch's face when he is sitting at the feast and it's like that drawn on smile. He's sitting right next to Cindy Lou Who and he is just so excited to serve Cindy Lou Who and to be a part of this community at last with his heart has grown and he is just so excited to enjoy this feast. How can we experience the good news of the gospel like that with the heart of feasting? See, so often, I think we think of the gospel as like kind of good news. Like it's like fire insurance. I don't go to hell. Instead, I get to go to heaven. Or that it's just that I can maybe be a little bit better today than I was yesterday. But the beauty of the gospel is so much greater, so much grander than that. It's so much more than we could ever dare ask for or imagine. It's like we've talked about a number of times. It's this multifaceted diamond that we cannot in any way begin to understand the complexities and the beauties, but we should try to know more. And see, when we think about our relationship with God, does it resemble a feast? See, feasting is actually part of our created order. In the very beginning, mankind was created to feast with God and with one another. Normally, when we talk about the scene in the garden, we talk about the one tree that they were called to not eat from. We forget the beautiful diversity of what they were given in the garden to eat from instead, though. The intimacy they were called to have with God and with one another. That they were supposed to be fruitful and to multiply, to demonstrate life, love, and freedom to the world. Yet, when mankind fell, all of a sudden, those realities changed from feasting to scarcity. And we live most of our lives from a scarcity mentality, a place of lack. But over and over again throughout the scriptures, what we see is God's consistent desire that we would hold on to his promise of redemption. And specifically in the nation of Israel, his covenant people, he gave them seven markers throughout their annual calendar that were annual feasts, that were created these holy days, these holy seasons where they would draw near to God to remember through feasting in community what God has done for them. His radical generosity towards his people, his might, his power, his ability to save, and how he has saved in the past, how he is saving in the present, and how he will save in the future. Like this is why things like the Passover feast existed so that they would remember God's deliverance of the Israelites from the nation of Egypt, that they would enjoy life. They would enjoy the flavor of the meal. Yes, but the intimacy that they have with God and with one another because of what God has done. 
And they needed these reminders at least seven times a year because the nation of Israel, like all of us, are a forgetful people. We naturally go into spaces where we forget God's goodness, where we go, yeah, he might have done that last week, but I don't know if he's going to deliver now. I don't know what he's planning now. I, can't, I don't know if I can trust him now. So over and over again, he then sends prophets to remind them, in, both to those who are in authority and those without power, of his truest desire for his people, that they would return home and follow after his way. That's why through the prophet Zephaniah, God told the people of Israel that even though his desire is that they would return home, that he was going to, because of their radical rebellion against his way, he was going to allow them to see the fruit of their labors, that they would experience exactly what their, their path has shown them, which is that they would be invaded by foreign countries and carted off into other lands. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if you heard that America was about to be destroyed, our borders were about to be annihilated, and they were going to cart us off and take us all over the world. That would be terrifying. And that's the prophecy that Zephaniah delivers to the people of Israel. But get this. This is hidden in the midst of this. Zephaniah 3.17. If you have your Bible, feel free to open there. But what I'd encourage you to do first, for the first reading, just close your eyes and let this passage wash over you. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you believe this to be true? Do you believe that the Lord your God is in your midst? Do you believe that? That he is actually not far away from you? Right now, you might think that your circumstances in life have been so difficult. It's like he just took 2020 off. Right now, you may think, man, but I have been just so rebellious. There's just no way that he's anywhere near me. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is the mighty one who will save. He saves, not you, not me. He is strong enough. He is mighty to save. Do you believe those realities? Maybe you believe those two realities. We talk about both of those a lot. But do you believe that he will rejoice over you with gladness? Is that counter to the way you envision God? How do you envision God? What kind of dad does he seem to be in your mind? Is he aloof? Is he distant? Is he angry? Do you envision him as an angry dad and he's going to take his anger out on you? The reality is, is he cares about discipline. But according to this, he rejoices over with gladness. He is a glad dad and he will take that out on you. He will rejoice over you with gladness, and he will quiet you by his love. As Allie and I have journeyed into our story of adopting our son Asher into our family this year, um, we, before that, began to study attachment and connection and the importance of both of those realities. And that's just the, the, the reality that the action, the way that Asher might act out from time to time, isn't indicative of just him just wanting to rebel against us, but it's often just out of a desire for connection and for attachment and for attention. 
So if he is um, having a rough day and he is like throwing a tantrum, to give him the opportunity to say, do you want daddy to hold you? And I'll pick him up into my arms and I'll just rock him there for a few minutes. And I quiet him by my love. You know, it's crazy. According to Jesus, my best parenting is pretty wicked compared to the, the parenting of our father. His love is over us. He will, it's, he will rejoice over you. With gladness, he will quiet you by his love. Do you let the father quiet you by his love? Then it says, I love this. I love this. He will exult over you with singing. He will exult over you with singing. This is a paternal serenade. A beautiful song, song being sung over his kids. Here's a question. Between you and God, which one of you is louder? Between you and God, which one of you is louder? Because this kind of gives this image that it's like, it's like if there was a soundboard that God is turning down your volume and turning up his. He is quieting you by his love as he is singing over you. Do you have that image? Does that mean anything to you? Do you want that? Do you crave that? This is what a relationship of feasting is meant to look like. This is not meant to cause guilt or shame. It, what it is supposed to do is to speak of the truth of intimacy that according to Scripture is God's desire to have with His people. And if you think that you're too far gone, that you're too rebellious, that, that that's just never going to be your experience, get this. This is written to the nation of Israel in the midst of their deepest rebellion against God. That at their worst, this is God, His redemption, His restoration for His people. This is His promise over them. So the truth is, is yes, we are broken. We are forgetful. We are not getting our act together quick enough. And he's still a good dad. And he is still singing over us. And he wants to quiet us by his love. We are simply called to attend the feast and enjoy. Remember who saves. Remember who quiets. Remember who is doing the singing. See, we often in... Uh, we often can think, though, that we're meant to enjoy this feast in a silo, that this is just supposed to be me and God and no one else involved. But through hearing his voice, we are called to not only hear it through the Spirit of God connecting directly to us, even though it's definitely that too, but that's why we have the Word of God, which is his voice, that we could know what he thinks, that we could know his heart for us, that we could know his plan of redemption for the world, that we could know how he wants to guide and shape us and inform our worldview. This is why in Jeremiah 15, I love this. Jeremiah writes it this way. The prophet writes it this way. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. We feast on the word of God. It may not feel like something for you to feast on right now. Maybe your interactions with script, Scripture feel more like a kale smoothie or something like that. Maybe you enjoy a kale smoothie. Pick a different reference. But what we are called to do is to enjoy this relationship, to enjoy our interactions with the Scriptures. But not only that, but also to feast in community. Just like the Grinch had been transformed and has now become an active participant with others at the feast, we are called to engage in biblical community through the local church to feast together. 
Hebrews 10.25 says it this way, and remembering not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another and all the more as the day draws near. Our invitation comes through Jesus and that day that's drawing near. Let's read about that day. It's in the book of Revelation. It's in Revelation 19, verse 6 through 8. This is, the, this is the feast that you and I were created for. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. And what were they crying out? Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come in his bride, which is the church, which if you are a follower of Jesus, you are part of the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. This is the feast we were created for. A feast that words can't even begin to do justice. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is foreshadowing of your future. There's symbolism and metaphor galore in here. But the one thing that's certain is if you follow after Jesus, if you've surrendered your life to him, you're in this picture. This is your future. You were created to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To not live out of a relationship of scarcity, but out of a relationship of feasting. That doesn't always mean we're going to feel it. That doesn't always mean that it's going to feel like a feast. But it does mean that we can trust the character and nature of God that we discover in the scriptures. That does mean that we can discover him in the body of Christ, in the church. It does mean that we discover him both in a prayer closet and as we gather. This the beauty of the gospel on display through the church. See, we were created to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. You were created to feast, to enjoy the wondrous flavors, an unending existence, a fullness of flavor, a fullness of intimacy that, to use words, definitely can't even begin to compare. But it can't captivate us. You see, in a few moments, in a few minutes, the season of Advent, the season of Advent where for 25 days we look in anticipation for Christmas Day. It's about to be over in 15 minutes. Christmas Day will be here. It'll arrive with all the promise that occurs on December 25th. One day, the true season of Advent will be over. Right now, this is Advent. The world we were born into is Advent. The season of waiting and longing for this arrival. And the arrival it's looking forward to is the arrival of that scene in Revelation. When all anxiety, all fear, all terror, all social unrest, all injustice, all disease and famine is done away with. The old is gone, the new has come. And in the place of all the brokenness sits on the throne, the risen Jesus. We sit in Advent. We are in a season of Advent. 
And just like tonight, we look forward to Christmas Day's arrival. The King's arrival is even greater. And that's the moment we look forward to now. So tomorrow, we get a chance to celebrate, and we get a chance to look forward to. We get a chance to feast. Now, I don't know what your holiday is going to look like. I'm imagining that because of the pandemic, it's being affected in some very significant ways. But whether you are pulling a double at Disney tomorrow, whether you are celebrating with family, friends, roommates, or even by yourself, what if we decided to feast tomorrow? And I mean, hopefully it includes good food for sure. But what if we desired to feast by enjoying the richness of a relationship with Jesus? To have this day, this day of Christmas day is a signpost pointing us to the feast we were created for all along. Imagine if that's what captivated our hearts tomorrow. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for my family. That's what I want for our community. That we would experience this kind of intimacy a signpost to the feast to come. So right now, I'm going to go ahead and invite the band to come on forward. And as they're coming forward, there is a prayer from Paul, from Romans 15, 13, that I would love to pray over you. Receive this prayer. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Father, each of us are in a different place this year. Each of us are in a different place tonight. For some of us, we are struggling. For some of us, we are probably in a place of deep intimacy with you. God, wherever we're at, whatever our circumstances are, we praise you. And not because it's easy, but because you are worth it. Because in the midst of the difficulty, you are present. In the midst of the uncertainty, you are mighty to save. And you went to the furthest extent by sending Jesus, being born in the middle of the night in a backwoods area, in vulnerability, but in power and in might. The King arrived. So Lord, we look forward to the next arrival of that King, of Jesus. But tonight, Lord, I just ask that you would captivate our hearts and our minds, that we would, that we would receive your words over us, that we would believe the truth that you desire for us to listen to you, that we would hear you singing over us, that we would receive this reality that you wanna quiet us by your love regardless of how worthy, regardless of how good or bad, you're present, you're good, you're kind. Yeah, Lord, we receive that tonight. Lord, help us to receive you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.